What's up, everybody? Welcome to Artist of Data Science Open Office Hours. It is Friday, September 25th. We've had an awesome week at the Artist of Data Science, released two awesome episodes this week. One of them was with Gilbert at Kellenboom, talking about the algorithms of emotional intelligence. And he came on the show to talk about his book that he'd written, People Skills for Analytical Thinkers. It was an amazing conversation. Definitely check that conversation out. If you want to learn more about how your brain works, how to get more feedback from your colleagues, from your boss, and just overall the general importance of emotional intelligence. Also released an episode with Dr. Alex Pang. You might have recognized him from the talks that he's done at Google, the interviews he's done with Ariana Huffington and Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. He came onto the show talking about his books, Rest and Shorter. In Rest, he talks about the need to have a pretty much have a strategy in your life to build in restful periods. It was a really good conversation. We talked a lot about um, the importance of having a, a morning routine and how the morning routine really facilitates creativity. Really great episodes this week. Make sure you check them out. Um, I want to welcome you guys to the office hours. Thanks so much for stopping by. Um, so I like to open the office hours with a quote, I guess a quote from my friend Giuseppe Bonacarso. He talks about pretty much what the role of a mentor is in data science. So I want to take a second to read through this because his philosophy for what a mentor is really aligns well with my philosophy. So first one is that a mentor is not a professor or a master. We're basically friends that are here to support you. We're not the repository of all knowledge. Um, and in fact, I, like him, don't place myself in, in the category of professor or master. We're not a substitute for books, Stack Overflow, or anything else that you can use to solve your problem autonomously. Um, and we're not here to, we're not here to really share our experience or knowledge. I mean, we're, sorry, we're here to share our experience, not necessarily our knowledge. Um, probably won't be able to help you work through important decisions. I mean, I can help you work through important decisions, but I won't be able to influence them. And um, you'll hear me ask a lot of questions. So definitely agree with Giuseppe Bonacarso's philosophy on mentorship. Um, I want to thank you guys for stopping by. Right now we got Jaya and we got Perry in the building. Thank you guys for hanging out. And for anybody listening on the podcast, make sure you are up to date with office hours by going to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash ADSOH. Um, just a heads up by registering for open office hours. Um, you're pretty much agreeing to get communication from me. Pretty soon I'll have a bi-monthly newsletter coming out. No spam, no junk, only value. Hope you guys will enjoy that. Um, but yeah, welcome everybody to Office Hours. Super happy to have you here. Um, Jaya, how's it going? I recognize you, obviously, from Data Science Dream Job. Super happy to have you here. How are you doing? I'm fine. Carpet uh, uh, and so glad to be here to watch your show. And hi, Carlos. Uh, <laughs> both hey. of you are very active in LinkedIn. So. Oh, too active. I'm trying to slow down. 
<laughs> Happy to be here. Capri, you got a you got a whole block on this thing, bro. I had to like do like three sign-ins, man. I thought Zoom just let anybody hop in. Really? What was the sign-in issue? I had to like register my Gmail with Zoom. I had to do a uh, whole thing. I was like, oh, wow. All right, I'll have to adjust those settings. Uh, yeah. I had it all all strict. Uh, but yeah, man, get to get to have you here. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm hyped. Hold on. Yeah, man. Can... You got the pizza hat. There you go, man. I'm super cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting a... cold up here in Canada. Well, today's like the last hot day and the rest of this month is going to be why cold. I... Why do I forget that you're in Canada? Oh, I'm originally from California. That's probably why. Yeah. But yeah, man. So if, uh, if anybody's got questions, definitely jump in. You don't even have to have a question. You can just have commentary. I see Perry hanging out, Jay hanging out. So, I mean, there's no, no necessary need to have questions per se. I'm just interested to see what you guys are, what you guys are up to, man. How's your week been, Carlos? Dang. Mine's been cool. I'm, uh, took vacation last Friday and Monday. Funny enough, I've actually, that kind of messed me up because now I'm behind on a client thing and we're like finishing out a commercial project and commercial data science moves a thousand miles an hour. We started the project September like 2nd and it's finished today is when wow. it's due. And like, it's not that big a deal. It's just a dashboard and like API connections and all this stuff, but it is just a thousand miles an hour. Um, I'm learning a lot though. I've made a lot of mistakes in the last month. Um, happy to talk about those. Yeah. How many people are working on this project that, you know, cause a month turnaround, like I've been fortunate enough in my career, just to have projects that are heavily research focused. Obviously the goal is always some type of implementation or deployment, but nothing that's ever had to move at like break breakneck speeds like that. So the idea is we're making a COVID-19 model at the county level it's all right. I'll edit out the silences on, on the uh, on the uh, production for the uh, podcast. But when this goes up on YouTube, you guys will be able to see Carlos's frozen face. It'll be awesome. Right. I'm hoping you can hear me okay. Is, oh. it, my, is it my connection oh, issue? I, I don't know. I just turned off a bunch of stuff. All right. I, I can hear you, uh, Harpreet, but yeah, it, it gets frozen from time to time. But okay. it's okay. It's It's technology. Yeah. Yeah. How's it now? Am I still frozen? No, you're good now. You're back on. You're, yeah, back you're good. You're good. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. So uh, you know, they're trying to send their sales force out there safely because they don't want to send people who do, you know, commercial health sales into hospitals and doctor's offices mm -hmm. and like make things worse. So there's like a balance there between public health and economics that I do understand. So we're trying to do that. But we got like a seven person dashboard team. We got like a two-person account team. We got a two per. We have two data scientists. I'm managing the data scientists, and it's just like so fast, man. Like we, the requirements were not gathered day one, so we're like doing requirements gathering while we're doing development, while we're doing like deployment, and anything could just switch at any second. So talk like, to us about that about that requirements gathering. So when you're out there working with a client. What is it like? Are their requirements typically vague? Do you have to dig in deeper? So, I mean, you know, we're a consulting firm. So, like, we bring expertise and we have to balance, you know, their needs with, like, what they don't know that they need. 
So it's a lot of, you know, finding references for them, showing them like what the benchmarks are, how do you benchmark to Harvard or Johns Hopkins in terms of metrics. But the hardest part is just that when you're the expert in the room and they're the client, you have to figure out how to get them to come out with the success metrics. Like, how do we know that we succeeded? And they don't know because like they have their current way of doing things and they don't actually know what level of improvement is good versus what level of improvement is not enough. And they don't even know if it is an improvement or not. So there's a lot in there around just like it's uh, I've been reading a lot about this and I've been saying like a lot this week is like there's data driven and there's data informed. I learned this from uh, this is in scientists at Google, Cassie, can't pronounce mm-hmm. her last name. She's going to be on Dedicated on a webinar with uh, Kate Strachny next week. Um, So she's always talking about this stuff. There's data-driven and data-informed. Informed Informed is like, oh, yeah, what are the numbers? Okay, these numbers look good. Let's pick these ones. And data-driven is like, here are my metrics of success. If this is the data, I'm going to do this. If it's not the data, I'm going to do this. And without seeing the data, you make all of your threshold decisions, and then you just look at what the data says. And that's what data in the driver's seat. Otherwise, it's just data informed. And I'm learning the hard way. And this is not the first time I learned this lesson. I've learned this lesson on a lot of projects. Is that when you let data informed happen, it just makes everything messy. Because now you have to, like, argue with whether the data is, um, you know, up to standard or whether the data is, you know, like, what are the confidence intervals and stuff? And like, those are obviously good things that they care about, but you got to care about them before you start. And you just put the thresholds up before you start. Otherwise you're going to see stuff and you're going to be surprised. It doesn't fit with your assumptions. Hey, your assumptions, you didn't write those down. Like people always have assumptions that don't write down. Uh, it's just messy. I, I had this, um, my mentee actually, he's doing his senior design in industrial engineering and he's doing data analysis for a small health company in the, in his city. And they need to like optimize their, you know, clinicians and techs to reduce wait times because their wait times are randomly really high and most of the time they're really low. So it's like anomaly detection too. And one of the things that we were talking about is like, okay, well let's look at clinicians versus techs and the wait time between both. And let's do a T test to see, you know, are they truly different or not? And that might inform whether we want to rearrange how techs and clinicians move about this small office. And what we did was we just did the T-test just to show them what it was. I just showed them what it was and I saw the number and I was like, yeah, okay, the P-value is 12 or 0.12. And he was like, oh, is that, that's not very significant, right? And I was like, actually, we can't say that word because we've cheated three times. Mm-hmm. One, we didn't make assumptions about the underlying distribution of wait times. It's a Poisson distribution and we're assuming it's normal. So we already broke one rule. Two, we didn't set our p-value ahead of time. So right now we just moved into data informed. And then three, we also like didn't decide whether or not the variances of our distributions are equal or not. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're just taking a t-test assumption of equal variance, but they might not be equal. So we've already, like we broke three rules with one line of code. We broke three rules. Mm-hmm. And it's like that with everything. Like if you're not, if you're not meticulously designing your experiment, this is what you're going to end up in. You're going to end up arguing whether 0.12 per P value means anything or not. So yeah. I don't want to take up your whole show. I didn't know what you were doing. I thought we were no, we're just, yeah. People don't have questions. So we're just listening, man. So it's all good. That's very interesting to hear what it's like in real life. Uh, in, in, 
consulting. I guess a lot of people are interested in that. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, but yeah, if anybody has questions, like you guys feel free to hop in and chime in. Otherwise, I'll just continue to talk to Carlos about what real life data science is like. So, um, how are you how are you liking these? Uh, it's not related to data science at all. But how are you liking the LinkedIn stories? I don't see them. I don't know what that is. I have not. Really? My app doesn't have it. Ah. I can't find it. Where is it? Well, I had to, yeah, yeah. I had to re-download. Um, well, I didn't really have LinkedIn on my phone before. I was just using desktop version. I downloaded it on my phone because I heard about stories and mine had it. Um, it's uh, you know my hot take on it. Yeah. I think it's a stupid idea. Yeah, I think it's like a fundamental, and not and not because I think stories are bad. I think stories are cool. I think casualizing LinkedIn is a very smart idea, but LinkedIn has incentivized behaviors over its entire history that do not align to how stories work. Mm-hmm. Like on LinkedIn, if, so, if you add someone on LinkedIn, right, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to look at your profile and they're going to see if you have 500 plus or not. That's the first thing they're doing. Are you serious about LinkedIn or not? And everybody has 500 plus connections because there's lions out there adding everybody. Mm-hmm. And if you compare that to Instagram or Facebook, where the average person, median person has like dozens, a hundred, 200 people, like you have scaled up the like attention deficit problem on LinkedIn because now anybody can just post their story and everybody has 500 connections. So it's like, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to have to have prioritized stories? Are going to bring in close friends? I would like that feature. Cause there's some people that I connect with or follow and then like, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't even know why we're connected. Like you don't post anything and that's, or they don't post anything, but they like weird stuff. And it's like, oh, my whole feed is just <laughs> yeah. random likes of like, nonsense. so yeah, I mean, I think they just, I think LinkedIn as a platform, their history of what they've incentivized is not conducive to stories going really well. Yeah. I've been learning the hard way because I, I mean, I've just been stepping up my LinkedIn presence really saw you. You went from like five K to like ten K, bro, in like months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just stepping it up just by all right, I'm just gonna start posting stuff like why not? Um I do think uh, this is not a criticism. Yeah. I do think you're a little fast on the trigger finger. Like I see you just you're just pumping stuff out and I'm just like, Oh, this image is really cool. I read it, but then I don't I don't see like you expanding on it with your thoughts to yeah. like end up giving me a lesson of some sort it's just like check out this quote and i'm like yeah yeah i don't know how to consume it correctly thank you for that feedback that's really valuable because what i what i do is i'll go on a publishing app and i'll just schedule it on there just because i'm experimenting with it just seeing what how this thing works um and very much so is going to be a new Ah, part of my strategy i found the story nice but yeah it's good to know um I appreciate that feedback. And if anybody listening on the podcast has feedback, just shoot me an email at theartistofdatascience at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be adding some more uh, oh, color I think, commentary. I think they rank who you see in your stories based on the stuff that you interact with most. Because everybody on my story right now are like the big people, the people that are always on LinkedIn. Yeah, trying to figure this stuff out, man. Apparently, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to put links in the body of the text, and apparently, images, I guess, aren't really supposed to be in there. Yeah, images bad. Links outside of LinkedIn bad. 
That's why I'm always linked in the comment. There's a, I hate that they have to make it game the system. Like this is yeah. so like, you're like paying attention to the wrong stuff. Uh, what is it? There's another one that's like really, really bad. Oh, shares. If you share something, if you share someone's post on LinkedIn, it's yeah. like the worst thing you can do. I think it even destroys their engagement that you shared. It's like so punished. So weird, huh? All these different. different I don't know. It gets away. Like that's not the play. point. Like I'm not trying to play a game. I'm just trying to like. Yeah, I mean, cool there's. Stuff. I'm just trying to like put some. There's a lot of awesome people that come on the podcast sharing some such deep awesome wisdom and knowledge and thinking like, how do I unlock that? How do I get that out there? Okay. Let's do quote graphics. Let's do audiograms and things like that. So I can make this content more visible so people can see what's going on. Um, but then it doesn't get any engagement reviews and it gets really frustrating, demotivating. Um, got somebody else that joined in. So either Perry, Jaya, Raul, if you guys got questions, man, by all means, like, like go for it. This is, for you guys i'm putting you on my linkedin story bro yeah go for it man. hey carlos why don't you share a little bit about uh, uh about what you do in washington dc and stuff like that um that would be great like just an, a short introduction about yourself and what you do and and i yeah. know you're based out in the east coast what's it like uh in terms of data science in that the field that you're working in and so forth that'll be great yeah so i'm at a consulting firm uh, called Guidehouse. They're a federal government consulting firm. They purchased Navigant Consulting, which is a commercial government, a commercial consulting firm. So now we're about 50-50 uh, government and commercial. I work on the advanced analytics team. So we're like a horizontal group that helps all of the teams. So there's like health and life sciences and infrastructure and defense and commercial, whatever. And we're across all of those. So like my coworker, or with every single day or something, even next to them in the office when the offices are open, they could be like Department of State or something, which is really cool because you get like a lot of very interesting experience just like helping people with random problems, just like, just because you're like, oh, what's that you're working on? Oh, you have a problem with Tableau? Let's like look at it together. And suddenly you're like seeing, you know, the perspective of a different client. Um, and I think a lot of clients love that because it's like, even for this commercial health project, they're like, oh, well, oh, you have someone who like consults uh, the CDC or consults, um, you know, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, we have people who are badged contractors for them um, in some ways. That's really useful to have that experience. So I like it. Um, I like public health consulting. Uh, DC is really cool. Um, I recently saw that DC is one of the best cities in the country for women in tech, which I definitely believe. Um, like way better than like all of California for like ratios of women involved in tech. And a lot of that is government driven, but a lot of it's also just like DC, I think culturally is like mm-hmm. not super tech bro. Um, you know, we don't have like the skyscrapers and like the Manhattan or like SF culture in terms of like flexing where you work. Uh, when I was in SF, like you, you couldn't go anywhere without someone bragging uh, like who they work at or what campus they're going back to or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm like, oh, I have no emotion to that at all. Like my office isn't that great. I'm in, like next to the White House, I guess. That's kind of cool. But yeah, it's so a very different culturally for tech. What's it like uh, with data science and government? I mean, how is government uh, accepting data science? Or, I mean, 
uh, I hear, you know, sometimes some of the government have legacy systems. How do you break through all that and, you know, kind of convince them to, you know, take on newer technologies and so forth? I mean, if you can share a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I think the government's really cool. Um, and I think we think of them as monolithic. They're really not. Like any any agency that you just pick out of like an org chart will have a bunch of sub-agencies and those sub-agencies will have branches and those branches will have centers and those centers will have programs and it's just a massive web of groups and a lot of them are relatively autonomous like they tackle one problem whether it's childhood blood lead or injury prevention in nursing homes or um, you know veterans affairs and like strategic communications or veterans affairs for uh, community care like there's all kinds of branches and orgs and all of them are unique and all of them have different levels of data science maturity like you'll have a client who's Hey, we have all these Python models, and we need to have we need to have a user interface that lets us pick among our Python models. A lot of this is NLP, so like they're top specific embeddings, and it's like we have all these NLP models, and we need to be able to pick and choose which one we want to investigate and pick out which one is the best one. And that's a really cool problem. And then you have other ones, same agency, different branch, different program, different whatever, and they're like, yeah, we have all this data, we don't even have any dashboards yet. We don't even have any like executive level views mm -hmm. of what data is in, what's accurate, what's not. So you have the full range of data science maturity, even in just one agency. So you think of the government and, you know, you look at LinkedIn and um, Isaac Faber, I think I'm pronouncing his name mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's at Isaac the Faber, Army. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, he's at the Army doing AI task force stuff. Super advanced AI over there. And then you'll have a different branch of a different mm -hmm. military group. And they're like, hey, we don't even know how we're going to do our logistics. We're not even forecasting our logistics right now. I doubt, that's probably not sure mm -hmm. anymore. But you just hypothetical. So the curve is super wide mm -hmm. and it's everywhere, which is super cool. Because I don't I mean, there's no, like, I don't, I'm not biased on anything. Like, I don't think the work at the first stage of the maturity curve is any less cool than the work at the top. Like, I think it's all super cool. Like, I think dashboarding mm -hmm. is just as cool as deep learning. I think dashboarding is actually cooler than deep learning. I think deep right. learning is hype. <laughs> Very hype. Very hype. Cool. And how, how about, uh, like, you know, like red tape and that kind of stuff? Uh, I mean, how, how does that work when it comes to data science, you know? Are there any disagreements and, you know, concerns in that area? <laughs> yeah, I do think there are some regulatory things around, like, bias and interpretability where, like, you do want to, like, really be careful that you're not making assumptions that lead to, like, continuing racial discrepancies. So, like, for example, in public health work, um, you know, there's social determinants of health, which are you know, access to food, access to uh, healthcare facilities, um, access to education and all this stuff. And those are super correlated with race because America has a racist history. Um, and, you know, that, that affects things. It affects the willingness to do black box models and it affects the willingness to, uh, you know, make, you know, use certain features. Like you just won't use features that you like, that you just think are biased ridden and bias driven mm -hmm. so yeah i think there's a lot there in terms of like the impact of it being a government thing and it's taxpayer money and you want to make sure it's fair as possible whereas i think in commercial they they care about that stuff 
but they're not going to give up two points of precision over it. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to give up hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity over it. Cool. Thank you for answering those questions. Super interesting, man. I never thought of the government that way. I was about to take a government job a couple of years ago before I went to um, this other startup. And it was just always my assumption that government is just slow moving bureaucracy. Can't do anything. It might be different in like provincial governments or state governments versus U.S. government. What do you think? Uh, I I work with a lot of state governments in some ways for public health stuff. Uh, we publish in the Journal of Environmental Epidemiology with our client on this uh, Shiny app that we developed that automated a bunch of SAS code and some really cool stuff and shot of blood lead poisoning like alert detection. And we deployed it to states and we went to the states and we saw their programs and it's like, they're super technical. They got like Azure data warehouses and data lakes. They have chief data science officers like State government is not, I don't think it's a fair assumption at all that uh, the government is like monolithic at all. Um, and honestly, in some ways, it's the opposite. The government's driving things. Um, you know, you look at the history of space and aeronautics, and it's just like, oh, yeah, the government created GPS and the Internet and microwaves and like all this other stuff. Um the weather service, when the government came out with the weather service, they created a $5 billion industry overnight just because they made weather super accessible inside apps and stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think the government, I think it's super weird that people think the government's bureaucratic and backward. You'll always find people in the government who are like trying to change the system, trying to make big things happen with big budgets behind them. So, yeah, I think people have a totally incorrect perception of like what government can be. I guess you could say government created data science because of DJ Patel. Wasn't he in the government? Oh yeah. He was the chief data scientist yeah, at yeah. the U S government. Yep. You're yeah, right. Coined the term. So speaking about public health, let's say there's some students out there who are really trying to break into the health domain and they don't know where to start for like a project for health or public health. Do you know, if public health data is actually public and open um, for through some open data portal? And if so, what would be an interesting project that somebody could do? So if you're interested in public health, um, I know everybody's made a COVID-19 dashboard and COVID-19 forecast, but this really is, there is really no better time to get into public health because I think what we're going to see is a lot more investment in public health. Um, I was actually telling someone, I've been talking to a lot more people about job offers they've been getting and like kind of their career plans, not super deep mentorship because I don't have time for it. But like, if you message me a random question, I'll answer like 99.9% of the time pretty much. And this guy, um, he just accepted a job at EY actually, which is cool. And in the government division, which is why it's relevant. And he was asking me the same thing, like, hey, I want to study stuff. I don't know what to pick. I could do cybersecurity. I could do business. I could do um, health informatics. And I was like, dude, pick health informatics. Like, health is going to be massive. Everyone is going to remember for the rest of their life that, you know, public health was underfunded for years. And, like, this is how it got in this situation because people people don't want to pay for, for preventative stuff. Um, and that's not just COVID-19, but all healthcare, like our whole healthcare industry is about the lack of preventative health, which the government's also trying to move to, um, with like quality based payments and things like that, which is the whole thing to Google. So what can you do if you're interested in public health? Um, I think the first thing you can do is just do research on like 
a specific field. Uh, social determinants of health is a really cool field that you can look into. Um, there's a lot of, use a lot of census variables that you can get. Um, there's a lot of data available on data.gov, Kaggle, um, that you can actually like map this stuff and like understand differences in health related to like social determinants of health. Um, there's also definitely more and more places that are like engaging in open source. So they're like doing, they're making their data open source and asking for citizen data scientists to get involved. Kaggle has a few of those in the health domain to my understanding. But yeah, I mean, it, public health is just too big. Like you got to pick something a little more specific. By social determinants of health, what do you mean by that? Is that just like socio-demographic factors and how they impact health outcomes? Essentially, yeah. So, I mean, you could think of food swamps, food deserts, uh, distance to hospitals, um, historical racial differences, diabetes and obesity. Um, I mean, I'm not super into social determinants of health. I'm just saying it because it's a popular thing to bring up. We actually have, now that I say that, we have a paper that we just made public um, and it's AI for health and it's totally open online. So let me, I'll just post it here and you can share it too. Yeah, definitely. And it talks about social determinants of health. Um, yeah. Artificial intelligence. So do, 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 do. trying to post it really quick. Yeah. Is there a chat there feature? Is. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And in the meantime, if uh, either Perry or Raul, I know you guys are sitting quiet. If you guys got questions, feel free to, to hop in and ask or comments. Doesn't even need to be questions. Cool. Yeah. I see that link there. I will definitely. Uh, hi everyone. Uh, I am Rahul and I'm based in India. Nice. Uh, so I am trying to make a switch to data science from liberal arts. And in India, it's a bit difficult to switch careers. People are not that flexible. So I am rather at a disadvantageous position compared to an engineer. And my weakest part is the math. How should I plan the math journey for the data science? I'm not that bad at programming, but yeah, uh, for math, I need to cover a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's not really like a secret resource to get better at math. I think you essentially just pick up a book, work through the exercises, then you know okay. the math part, right? So in this case, when you're talking about liberal arts and you're talking about math is, is not up to par, like Talk to me a little bit more about that. Where's your skill set at right now? Uh, you last, know. I guess what was the last math class you took? In, in... Last math class I took in my marketing class for market research. Okay. There I learned about hypothesis testing. Okay. So I think for people who are really making that like super orthogonal career path coming from totally left field into data science, a really reasonable way to get your foot into the door is maybe not pursue that full stack data science career path and think about how you can get into maybe a role that is more analytics focused, marketing analyst, right? Data analyst, roles like that. Yeah. yeah. I would just echo that and say, uh, you definitely want to make sure you have a plan. Like, like, uh, here, I'm posting a book too. So if you don't know math, that's okay. I'm very bad at math. I have a master's degree in applied econ, so I'm obviously not that bad at math, but like, I don't think I'm very good at math. So 
uh, figure out ways to like combo learn. So like, can you learn using a tool you kind of know? So the book I just posted from open intro, they have a course in statistics, intro to statistics through simulations in R. Um, and honestly, that's my best way to like, remember math and learn math is like, okay, I know R really well. I know how to do all these calls to like random, like random functions and stuff. So I need to learn statistics again and I need to do it while inside R. And that's how I get like way better at stuff. I'm just like, okay, well, the theory says that if I take all these random distributions and I look at the distributions of the residuals from a basic model on them, that the, you know, the root mean squared error of the residuals should be what the standard deviation that I used to make the randomization work. I know that's kind of hard to hear. I have a post on GitHub about that. I'll link that too. But um, like, that's how I figure stuff out. I'm just like, okay, well, the theory is this and I simulate using this and then I test using this and holy crap, like I just proved the theory in a way that I understand because I coded it. Yeah. yeah, definitely make sure you're doing it like through activity. Don't just like read a textbook. Exactly. I was going to say, you'll notice that everything he talked about was action, right? So I wouldn't, like, I mean, obviously, if you need to sit through online courses to get exposed to the material, understand it, but as much as you can, try to apply it and apply it using, like, collide two things together, right? So Carlos is talking about being super good with R, R and stats kind of go hand in hand. Uh, whole, I'm not sure if you were uh, good with Python or or R, whichever one it is, you mentioned you had programming experience, um, collide those two together. And there are resources out there where you can do applied statistics with Python or applied statistics with R. Um, but the way you're going to get better is by just doing as many exercises as possible and building out projects as much as possible. I just posted the uh, my markdown on that root mean squared error problem. Um, and how I kind of found out about it. Like I like knew the statistics behind the rule, but I never actually simulated it. And when I simulated it myself, I was like, Oh, the root mean squared error is the estimate of your like population's natural noise, which makes it different from an accuracy metric for assessing models. So that's like how I figured all that out. And I'm like, that's how I've always figured out statistics is like, like, what does it mean to multiply distributions? I don't know what that means. So a lot of Bayesian stuff is about multiplying distributions. Um, so yeah, I mean, start small. And like what with uh, what Harpreet said is just like, don't chase like things that are like super outside of what's possible. Like I was a teacher uh, in Shan Korea and I was like, okay, in the next three years, I want to be like a data scientist. So I need to um, practice and you learn R. I need to get some experience. So I worked with startups. I need to go to grad school and learn more math and learn better domains. So I went to grad school and it took like legit three years to any of my first role as like an art developer was copy pasting out of word documents. And that's when I was like, okay, this is a nightmare. Let me use our shiny on my own, ask for permission to download our own stuff and automate this pipeline. And I didn't know how to do it until I started doing it. But then I figured that part out. I got better at R was doing grad school, had my personal projects. So, I mean, it took a long time. Um, you should have a plan. Yeah. It doesn't need to be super detailed. And um, so through a data science dream job, we have like this roadmap mapped out for how you start breaking into the field. So I guess Jaya could attest to that. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I joined the yeah. Mm-hmm. So I joined the program, and they have a good uh, curriculum that you can follow. You know things that you're weak at. I I, I took linear algebra way back in high school. You know, <laughs> it's like forgotten. So, uh, but uh, DSDJ has provided a uh, a books, online classes, and even you know articles to read to kind of get you up to speed. Uh, definitely learning by doing definitely helps. So yeah, so it's it's been good. So. Yeah, so look into that. I'll toss the 70% off code. That's just dsdj.co forward slash artists 70. Um, but yeah, that would be the best way is just by practicing, by applying. Build out small projects for yourself. Like just come up with a problem statement. Say, hmm, I'm wondering if people in this neighborhood make more money than people in that neighborhood, right? Well, how are you gonna? how are you going to test that? How are you going to come up with a way to make a statement whether one neighborhood makes more or less money than the other one, right? Well, that involves so many different steps um, that from finding the data to actually coming up with a conclusion, everything in between, like that's a huge learning experience. So definitely action, action, action. A question here from Perry. Want to develop a healthcare recommendation system. Is there any good articles for that? Um, guessing that's probably a question for Carlos because I don't know anything about healthcare recommendation systems, but we can definitely do some Google searches and see what we come up with. What was the question? Sorry, I was looking at something related to learning art that was going to post. Yeah, I was wondering if there's a healthcare. Oh, well, Perry wants to develop a healthcare recommendation system and is wondering if there's any good articles related to that. Um, so I would just defer to Googling it and you'll probably see a lot of stuff from NIH and NIH has a lot of like research that they hold in their repositories, like an archive of research. Uh, and they'll definitely have stuff around health-based uh, recommender systems. So like choosing whether or not to test somebody, um, that's actually a super great potential project too, is just, um, like diving in to like the realities of testing for different health things. So for example, uh, cancer, for example, uh, we can just pick up on breast cancer, I guess, cause it's like very, very well known. Um, you know, you do the test for breast cancer and what you find out is that there are real risks to these tests, like not a mammogram necessarily, but you know, doing CT scans and um, uh, EKGs are not relevant to breast cancer, but EKGs or whatever. And you find out that there's, you know, there's health risks to doing these tests. And because there's health risks, there are real life implications of false positives and false negatives. And the ratio of false positives, false negatives might really affect whether or not you can recommend a test to somebody. Because if you do 10 tests on somebody, you could give them cancer if it's like a radiation based test of some sort. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff around like the balancing of precision and recall and understanding like whether you really should test for something because there's no free lunch. Like there's, there's always a risk with something that you're doing. And even if the risk is just wasting someone's time, I mean, imagine if you have a false cancer diagnosis and you spend months or years like, you know, working off this false diagnosis and changing your diet, getting on a medication, starting chemo. Like, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in terms of the risks around different tests, their sensitivity and specificity and how those things impact uh, like the true accuracy rates. If you look up sensitivity and specificity 
you'll find uh, a lot of stuff about the HIV studies that were done in the late 80s and early 90s for like assessing whether or not someone had um, HIV or AIDS. And what they found is, you know, you, you can give someone a test and they're positive, you give them another test and they're negative. And you look at like the, like a Bayes theorem thing, like if you tested positive, what's the likelihood you actually have it? And that's where you get into the sensitivity, specificity, and the implied uh, ratio, like implied log ratios and things like that. It's really interesting stuff. Um, and it's relevant to COVID-19 too. I mean, you take a COVID-19 test, they're not 100% accurate. It could be a false positive, false negative. That has implications for how these things are being reported. It's, it's a very deep well, is my point, I guess. Some excellent insight. Um, I went ahead and I sh shared a couple of links here that I just Googled up. So hopefully I'll help you, Perry. Uh, Perry's asking about R or Shiny. Well, we're not going to talk about Python versus R. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, man. What else is going on, man? What do you, what do you got planned for the weekend? Um, we bought our first house about a year ago, and we're always doing stuff. So mostly house things. Yeah, where um, you and your wife, girlfriend... Fiance. Oh, my fiance. Yeah. Nice. Um, so firing out the wedding situation with COVID. Yeah. Cause I'd like yeah. to make it not too small, but also not too big. Yeah. So um, like in Indian culture, Punjabi culture, man, our weddings are massive. So our wedding, for example, the party had like 450 ish people, um, which was small compared to most Indian weddings, but that's um, cool. I mean, all the all the Indian people I know have a lot of friends, and it's a super cool like family culture of just knowing everybody who knows everybody. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people who had to cancel weddings or like really downsize weddings, make them a lot smaller. But yeah, definitely rough times. We're hoping to because we just had a, a baby. My wife and I had a baby about five months ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I needed yeah. to tell me that. Yeah. So we were planning on going to California for um, the holidays, but that's definitely not going to be happening now, especially with California on fire. I don't know how, the, I don't know anything about the West coast right now. I yeah. see stuff of people in LA and they're acting like it's normal. They just have a red sky. Oh, <laughs> the cat that just came in behind me. How cute. Okay. I'm posting you on my, on my story. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to take a better picture? No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the worst possible picture of me ever. Yeah, so. that's how it is, man. It's uh, real life. There we go, man. Yeah. So, I, I, wonder, one of my I wonder, uh, I wonder, like, if this authentication issue causes people to not join in. Was it that troublesome to log in? Well, it, it made the assumption that you already had an account. Yeah, so typically what, what happens... Yeah, Harpy. Typically, when people click on the Zoom, it just takes you to the uh, to the to the to the video. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this one requires you to log in, put in your password, and all that. For me, it's okay because I already have a Zoom link ahead of time for other things. Uh, so I just log in. But I think for public, it may be because the, the time-consuming part of logging in and getting an account and so forth probably might delay people. I don't okay. know. I'll have to yeah. check what I what the settings were. I thought I had yeah, the standard. They got in a bunch of trouble because um, people were Zoom bombing. Like you could just hop in on anybody's Zoom. Mm -hmm. And that's why Zoom like got it very different in terms of like limiting that stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, you got to make yourself open to Zoom bombing. 
the more people, the merrier. Yeah, I'll definitely look through security settings for anybody who's catching up on this on YouTube or on the podcast. That will be updated. It'll be in such a way where you just click on the link and it'll take you right to Zoom. That way we'll have a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Last week I had like 10 people though. 10 people were hanging out last week. It was quite, oh, cool. quite busy. Yeah. Yeah, man. I got some interesting stuff happening for the podcast in terms of the next um, few weeks when I got releasing, um, interviewed Annie Duke yesterday. Um, she wrote thinking in bets and how to decide and thinking in bets that book changed my life. So it was a more books, honor. more books. Yeah, man. I've uh, going through this book right now. I've got this guy coming on the show, uh, Christian Bush. He's got the serendipity mindset. This book is, I mean, I've probably went through about fifty books this year, and this is hands down. How do you my favorite one? I thought you have a baby. How do you read? I'm up at like four a.m. I read a lot. Like I read a lot, and I read relatively fast. And I don't. I read through parts of books that I find super interesting i don't even necessarily need to finish a book um but for example serendipity mindset i liked it a lot oh the phoenix project that's a good one i got there 200 pages in like two days yeah Yeah, reading is just you gotta make it a habit man like like i got a very set like my morning routine has changed ever since i had the baby but now it's you know i'll put the pot of coffee on and i will meditate for 10 minutes while the coffee is getting ready, come downstairs, do my journaling, and then get right into the reading. And I'll read for about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, um, before I even turn on, like, the computer or anything. So just plow through. And then nighttime, like, I just recently picked up the subscription for the great courses through Amazon Prime. I heard Uh, of that. I don't know much about it. I've heard uh, of it. It's it's dope. They have these courses that just cover a wide variety of topics. So two that I've been kind of digging into. One was um, all about decision making, how we decide. Um, it's just talking about the the cognitive process of decision making. And one of them is called Outsmart Yourself, which is pretty much how to hack yourself, uh, how to hack your cognitive processes. I'm working on that today. Was uh, I? Uh... I've been doing therapy to like, just like figure myself out. Cause I'm like that age where I'm like kind of needing to like be the adult adult that I think I am. Yeah. And my therapist was like, what's your ideal day? Write it down. And I'm like, dude, I've never done this. I've never written out an ideal day. And today is like my first ideal day. Funny enough. And it's gone. Perfect. I woke up at like 6am, did yoga, did all my stuff. Didn't look at my phone for three hours. I didn't look at my phone until like nine o'clock just insane for me i'm normally like huh email yeah so that's cool that's super cool you have like your whole routine figured out when do you actually work work <laughs> uh, i work from about like 9 30 to about like five ish right before i start office hours Dang. yeah um i gotta stop working the eight to eights that's yeah. my problem yeah and then on top of that i got like data science dream job office hours multiple times a week so that happens at least three times a week for an hour and a half each time. Um, then Saturdays, every Saturday I do, well, not every Saturday, every other Saturday I do a orientation session for new students for Data Science Dream Job. And every second Saturday of the month, I just teach like a full-on class. Not necessarily teach a class, but I just talk about a topic. And 
the important concepts from that topic. And it's just a wide variety of things. Like, like this month I did ML ops last month. I did what it means to deploy a model, but the month before that I did storytelling, like how to tell stories in data science. All recorded, right? Yeah, it's all recorded. It's all, you know, join data science streams. I get access to all this stuff. Uh, then next month coming up, I'll be doing, I forgot what the topic was for next month, but I need to start working on that soon because the second Saturday of October is creeping up on me. Um, so you don't watch TV? No, no. Or eat junk food? Oh, I eat junk food. I eat a fucking or do anything bad. Cinnamon. I have a cinnamon roll this morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't, don't watch too much TV. I'll probably, like, Friday, like, Friday afternoon is my time. Like, I'll go to the pub, which is down the street brewery, and I'll have, like, a beer or two. And pick up like some some food, come home and watch a movie with my wife and just chill. But yeah, I don't have much bandwidth to do anything else other than like work. I and mean, try- I guess if you just build the life you want, right? That's what they say. Yeah. I mean, I love oh. everything that I fucking do. Like I fucking love it. And like getting the Artist of Data Science podcast off the ground is a lot of work. I guess a ton of work, um, especially now that, since I've... You got interns, like I told you to, right? Yeah, I did. So I, I hired, um, so my interns are there right now. So it's my cousin, my wife's cousin, her and her three friends. Uh, for school credit, they will come and they'll help me out. So I've got them helping out with, uh, they build out the blog post quotes. So they're doing Dang. that stuff. Uh, they're doing the, they're helping me clean the transcripts. Because for the first 38 episodes, I did it all myself. All yeah, myself. Oh. I know. I was, I, was, I was think I was 38 because I was yelling at you yeah. to stop doing it this way. Yeah, and I started outsourcing the editing. And um, so then my interns do the transcription and they do the blog post quotes and they're helping me with uh, audiograms and, and audio visual stuff for... Get an intern, man. I need an intern just for my regular... Yeah. Oh. Shout out to the interns if, they're, if they ever get a chance to listen to this. But yeah, it's been helpful. Um, so now I've been focusing more on just trying to obviously prepare for the interviews just so I have the best possible interview. So like having to read through books, like, um, and then you got a lot of authors on your show. Yeah. So I'm pivoting now, pivoting now to just, instead of just stories of data scientists, it's going to be the, it's just a self-development podcast for data science of just a bunch of authors for books and ideas that I think need to be out there. Um, So for example, we're talking about serendipity mindset. This guy's coming out. Um, I've got the creator mindset, uh, a book about how to be more creative and the role of creativity. I've got some, uh, I interviewed Maya Grossman the other day. She wrote the book Invaluable. She's really big on LinkedIn. Um, so how to, how to be invaluable, indispensable in your career. Uh, interviewing, I interviewed Keith McCormick. He's a teacher on LinkedIn learning. So we talked about the non-technical skills of data science. <laughs> Why am I actually the worst person you've ever had on your podcast? No, you're not, man. <laughs> Definitely not. All my people are equally amazing. Everybody that's taking time out of their schedule to be on the show, man, it's all of them are awesome people. I'm probably the worst person on the podcast, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I got a lot of cool stuff like Scott Young from Ultra Learning. That was insane to have him on the show. Alex Pang, he's like, he's he's been interviewed by like Ariana Huffington, Rangan Chatterjee, and all these other people. Like, it's crazy how it's been working out. Um, coming up I also got I got an interesting one happening on in a couple of weeks I'm interviewing uh, somebody who's a cognitive scientist slash philosopher and we're going to talk about the meaning of life 
and then AI ethics. Um, a lot of cool stuff happening. I've got. I know you don't watch TV, but you should watch The Good Place. A lot of good stuff in terms of philosophy on that one. Yeah, I've never heard of that. It's a uh, it's a comedy about dying and going to the bad place, and four people who all have very different like ethical issues, like navigating that. Uh, it's very well done. Very well done comedy. I liked it a lot. And it's short. They did four seasons, and they're like, okay, we ended the way we wanted to end. Like they did not drag it on. Right. That might be a good thing to watch on Friday evenings. Check that out. What was that thing you posted? You wanted to talk about game theory with someone? What do yeah. you know about game theory, man? I'm... I just want to learn more about it. I think it sounds interesting. So there's a, a guy who created a course on the great courses. Um, it's called Games We All Play, uh, Game Theory for uh, Business and Life or something like that. So I reached out to him. So we'll see what happens, see what he says. Um, hopefully he says yes. And like, I just don't, like, I will reach out to any, like I've got a tremendous amount of books on this shelf. I reach out to pretty much everybody. Some people get back, some people won't. Um, but the ones that do I, mean, I think back, the biggest compliment you can pay someone is like, I read your book and I want to interview you. And yeah. like, you actually read it. Like, that's yeah. sick. Yeah, that, that's like my ideal life. The ideal life is I just want to read books all day. I want to talk about the books I wrote or rather talk about the books I read with the authors who wrote them and collide ideas together from these books that I'm reading with data science and how can I collide them together and implement them in my data science life or help at least spark a thought on how somebody can implement it in their life. Well, whenever you're doing your, uh, your round a on this podcast business thing, let me know. <laughs> because i'm all in yeah start making it a uh, full-on media company but yeah i mean it's, it's crazy man i got like you know like i've got a couple of weeks i got somebody coming well we recorded the episode already so in a couple of weeks i'll be releasing an episode that's like stoicism 101 um which is a huge huge part of my life like stoic philosophy dude stoicism stoic philosophy. It's a whack philosophy really no i think it's it's the I've studied a lot of different philosophies and I've tried to find some way to live my life. And I find stoicism is um, pretty much the one that makes most sense to me. I like, I like the Buddhist aspects of stoicism, like pain is inevitable. Suffering's a choice. Like I like that stuff, mm -hmm. but I feel like stoicism has just become like the anchor of so much toxic masculinity in our society. I don't, what do you, uh, tell me more about it's, this. It's, it's like, it's okay. It's like people are drinking from the well, but then they're using dirty cups and they're poisoning the well. That's how I feel about it. Like people who read one thing about stoicism or they read the law, the 40 laws of power way too young. And then they're all about stoicism and they just become like, they try to become an like a positive sociopath. And yeah. that's, that might not, be people that's that are, not what yeah. stoicism is. Yeah, they're probably so misinterpreting it. Yeah. I don't know. I think you I think if enough people misinterpret it, they actually do poison the well. And that's what I think yeah. is happening in stoicism. I, I that's why I'm all about the Buddhism, because I feel like people aren't on it enough. Obviously yeah. they are. It's a full it's a global religion, of course. Yeah. And I'm not the best Buddhist at all. But Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, but just like the if you go back to the roots of like the, the actual Stoic text, like Epictetus. Like Marcus Aurelius, I don't know if you can call that a stoic text. He's just, it was his actual journal. So it wasn't meant to be published, but he's shared some tremendous insights into philosophy. 
Um, but yeah, I got an episode releasing in a couple of weeks, like Stoicism 101. And in a couple of weeks, I'm interviewing Donald Robertson, who wrote uh, Stoicism and the Art of Happiness and How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to him. Um, I'll listen to it. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, yeah man. Check it out. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, Krishna, what up, Krishna? We got another day. It's not a stream job student in the house. So, you guys should be at Lediona's office. Hey, Carlos. Hey. You, guys, you guys here to hang out with Carlos? <laughs> yeah, I saw the LinkedIn post and I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we're just hanging it's out. It's become an accidental podcast. Oops. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, man. No, it's all good, man. I think I need to make it easier for people to uh, log in. So I'm going to edit, edit whatever is happening. Um, oh, you asked me what I was up to. I'm doing some blockchain stuff, man. Y'all don't want to know about this blockchain stuff. It's crazy. What are you, what are you doing with the blockchain? Dude, I, uh, I have accidentally been roped into an entirely new world of like finance and Hayekian money and like economic theory. Like I'm all in on this decentralized finance train. I think, I think the concept of paying someone to send your money to someone else going away. I think, I think in 10 years, this is a crazy one. I think in 10 years, there are going to be countries, probably small countries that will just give up their currency and switch to decentralized finance. And it's happening, man. Like, uh, I don't want to get too crazy into it, but there are ways to, you get paid in cryptocurrency by offering liquidity between cryptocurrencies. So it's like, it's the purest form of interest. It's like, Hey, I will have both of these currencies. I will give you us dollars and euros and whichever one you need, I'll freely let you swap between my pool, but you have to give me a percentage. And then you just, that's how you make the money by offering liquidity, you get paid and it's the purest form of interest and it just works. Like I, and then, you know, you get the, you get like rewards based on how much you're giving. There's all this stuff. There's like, there's the deep, well, it's so deep. And I know I sound like a crazy trade crypto guy. That's not my point at all. No, it's interesting. Point. I was watching this show on, on Amazon uh, prime. Uh, I think it's called this, this giant beast. We call our global economy with Cal Penn. And he had an episode entirely on cryptocurrency. And he was, a lot of people were talking about the same exact thing that you're discussing is really fascinating. And I think if anybody's listening, um, or anybody has Amazon Prime, check that out because it's a really quick primer into what crypto is all about and it's really interesting. Yeah, I can give you the, the two-minute 101 on it too. Let's do uh, it. We have exactly two minutes. Okay, perfect. So, just summarizing the math first. Mm. Okay. So, someone wants to contribute some piece of information, you could be inside a company, for example, and call it data, whatever. Someone wants to contribute a piece of information to a database. This database is a special property. The database cannot be changed. And it's also copied in tons and tons of places so that it's completely decentralized. So you don't have to make a S3 bucket anymore. You just have a chain of people who all have copies and it can't be changed no matter what. Actually, it can't be changed if you own the entire thing. It's a 51% attack. But anyway, so you can't change it. And then they, they say, hey, I want to make a contribution. I will pay you to put my contribution onto the chain. That's the token, right? I'm paying you to put the contribution on there. In order to accept the token, everyone has to prove 
that their chain is correct. So they have to do a proof of work. There's also other proofs too. There's proof of scale, proof of um, consent, proof of proof of vote. There's all kinds of proofs. And then if you do a bunch of really hard math problems and you do them correctly, then you'll get the token and then you'll add to the chain. Now, here's the cool thing though. You can wrap that math problem, the hard math problem that proves that you are the right person added to the chain. You can wrap any mathematical function on that. And what that's called is a smart contract. So it's like under these, this algorithmic set of rules, when something's added to the chain, this self-deploying code triggers. And now you have this, this operation where, hey, I want to add to a data set and to, I have this token payment. And because you want to earn that payment, you will do math for me. That math can be anything you want it to be. And suddenly you don't just have decentralized finance, you have decentralized computing power. So you're, you could be solving, you know, a gradient descent for some business in exchange for some token amount of money. So it's decentralized computing, decentralized finance, uh, self-deploying code. And it's all wrapped up into these nuggets of anonymous, like tokens and exchange, all decentralized. So, I mean, this thing is going to blow up. Like, it's going to blow up. You have, you have spare RAM on your computer. You're going to be able to just rent out your spare RAM while you're sleeping overnight to some Google Chrome extension that will be solving math problems and giving you a piece of the money. Like, this thing's going to explode. Um, that's the three-minute summary of why it's awesome, although I didn't really go too much into the chain yeah. and distributed ledger portions. I think you actually talk about this in the episode we did as well. So I'll link that episode into the, uh, the show. Well, I've learned a lot uh, since that episode. That's yeah. why I'm even more hype now. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, man. All right. Well, our time's up, man. Thank you guys for hanging out. Everybody listening, this will be on YouTube so you can see Carlos talk in action. Um, and I fixed the authentication on Zoom. So <laughs> I guess right, that's cool. an obstacle in the way for people getting in, but it will be easy next week. Just click on the link. You'll be able to get in. Thank you guys for hanging out. And if you're listening and you haven't registered for office hours, you should register because I know there's at least 1000 of you guys out there listening to the show. So register and um, yeah, take care. Have a good weekend, everybody. And thanks for hanging out. Peace. Bye. All right. Thank you. Thank you.